I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session. With our dad, Jason Crane. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 431 for Monday, March 17th, 2014. On today's show, pianist Danny Fox. Stay tuned at the end of the show to learn how to win Danny's new CD, Wide-Eyed. Thank you to the following Kickstarter donors who helped make this season possible. Ken Filiano, former guest on the show, Ed Tresker, Dave D., Josh Zepka, and I'm sure I slaughtered that, Josh. Ed Reed, also a former guest. Angela Davis, also a former guest. Sam Skintone, Brad Lindy, also a former guest. Layla Bialy, Rush Gershon, and the Either Orchestra, also former guest. Vigdis Fosheim, Andreas Quatt, Stefan Crump, former guest. Joseph Adam Strickland, Brian Lynch, former guest. The Awakening Orchestra, Avery Stemple, Dan Schofield, former guest. Sarah Caswell, future guest, if I have anything to say about it. David Witham, former guest, uh, Roman Collin, former guest, Cooper Moore, former guest. My lord, there's a lot of former guests in this one. Kathy Vonk, Brian Hill, Garrison Fuel, former guest, Rosanna Eckert, Amy Servini, multiple-time former guest, Steve Lampert, Chris Lipscomb, Alan Campos, and Charlie Christensen. Man, oh man, lots of people who have been on the show have come out to support the show. Thanks to all of you, whether you were a former guest or not. Speaking of supporting the show, for 5 bucks a month, you can become a member. It gets you MP3s and other exclusive content. For this episode, I'm uploading free MP3s by today's guest, Danny Fox, and also by Ezra Weiss. And there are several others up there from this part of the season so far. Thank you to Greg Pisenko, who joined since the last episode. I'd like to get to 40 new members by about May, if possible, so I can make regular monthly trips to New York and get this show going weekly again, so you can help by kicking in your 5 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. If you listen to this show via iTunes, please rate the show and leave a review, a positive review. It helps the show move up in the rankings and makes it more noticeable to people looking for jazz podcasts. Also, feel free to go to thejazzsession.com and leave a comment about this show. It's great to hear what you think about the show, and often the artists see those too, so if you wanted to say something to the person who was on the show, that's a great way to get your message out there. My guest today is Danny Fox. This is the third and final interview from my last trip to New York City. Uh, I have another one, if you're listening to this in real time, coming up this weekend. And I've got five interviews scheduled for this trip, so a bunch more episodes on their way out. Danny's got uh, a new album out called Wide-Eyed. He's on piano, Chris Van Vorst, Van Beest on bass, and Max Goldman on drums. And we'll start off with the track that leads things off, called Sterling.
My guest is Danny Fox. Uh, he's got a new album called Wide Eyed, and it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, this album, I was trying to describe it actually to the the people whose house we're doing this interview in, and um, was saying that it, it's, I mean, certainly it's a piano trio record on the face of it, but it's a trio that it feels like it's a lot more fluid with how the parts are assigned, kind of people trading their roles inside the trio. It feels it feels really kind of interwoven all the pieces of the trio. And I wonder, first of all, is, do you think that's even a fair description? And if it is, can you talk about how you guys arrived at that place? Yeah, it's definitely pretty accurate description. Um, I don't know that we set out to do that necessarily, but um, I think through some of the pieces I started to write, um, I tried to be more adventurous with like what certain instruments can do. And we were playing in the trio context and I would, you know, take chances with, well, what if I had the bass play this role here instead of just, you know, playing the sort of typical role that the bass plays in a jazz trio. And that's, that's sort of how we started getting into that. And the more we did it, the more we started looking for interesting ways to um, arrange pieces and to play off each other, switch roles, you know, um, to see what was possible within the just the three instruments of the, the classic piano trio. And it seems like the more we did it is an important phrase there because you guys have done this a lot together. I mean, this is a band that has a lot of hours on stage yeah, together. Yeah, many hours. We, I think we've been playing for maybe five years as a band. Chris and I, the bass player, and I have been playing since probably 98 or 99. But as a band, we've been playing for... Uh, yeah, five years or, or longer. So we've we've logged many hours trying different <laughs> things together, a lot which don't work well, but a lot that do. So Before we get any further, uh, tell folks the names of the other two members of the band. So uh, the bass player is Chris Van Voorst, Van Based. Um, should I spell it? Or? <laughs> and, uh, I'm not even sure that's possible. <laughs> yeah, and um, the drummer is Max Goldman. And how, uh, talk about how you and each of those guys found each other. Uh, Chris and I were both in Boston, and I I was going to Harvard, but I um, played a lot with guys that were at New England Conservatory and Berkeley. And Chris um, just played a, a lot around Boston, and so we sort of wound up on some gigs together, and we we just kind of hit it off musically. Um, and yeah, when we moved, when I moved back to New York and he was in New York, we, we played a little bit here and there, but I always, I always remembered having like a, a very, um, strong musical connection with him. And so we, we started playing more and, um, and Max, I met through mutual friends here. And, um, I remember the first time we played a session, we played some of these some tunes that I'd been working on and. Max had a real excitement about the tunes and about like playing them well and exploring them and and um it just I don't know it that felt great to have someone who was like already like from the first time playing it had this feeling of like I'm going to give my all to this and was Chris a part of that first session too? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh that's a actually that's a good question. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he was, but we started playing as like a um, a trio, and then we we booked one gig, and 
Um, and that was the rest of this history we've been playing ever since then. say a little more about about what makes it feel right like how you knew what do you mean when you say you musically hit it off with chris for example or what how, what is it that you're feeling that lets you know okay this is a match that's worth exploring um i guess well for one thing with chris i mean with all of us um but i know chris from way back we always had kind of a similar taste and similar appreciation of um whether it's certain composers or bands or kinds of music or, or just, you know, a certain openness in, in when we play together of, um, yeah, just maybe tending to like certain harmonies. We, we, we just tend to have similar tastes with that. And so I feel like we've been able to, um, improvise well together because we sort of appreciate a lot of the same things. Um, but not exactly the same thing. So there's still some like variety and diversity and yeah, you know. sure. You guys have spent a lot of time, not only in New York playing, but you've also spent a lot of time on the road, right? Kind of crammed into a car and traveling we, around the country. And <laughs> yeah, we have, um, we've done maybe say we've probably done like five tours, something like that. Five or six tours. Um, We've covered some, you know, pretty big distances, gone to the Midwest three times and um, all crammed into like a small, you know, that's a regular sedan. So we we ride with the base takes up two seats, <laughs> driver, <laughs> middle, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, I like to say that um, it's just those hours spent like just driving around and just, you know, making jokes and doing all sorts of stuff to keep from going insane while you're driving. Um, I feel like that's really, maybe it's a little cliche, but it's really, um, it's, it's helped the band come together and, and all that time spent together. It, I think it comes out in the music and it just adds to how we can work together and the certain ease you get with being around people and, and playing with each other. And, um, I feel like that that's a lot from spending so much time together. That's it's interesting because the it seems like the kind of two settings for a jazz musician to find him or herself in is either playing with people they know really well or playing with you know stepping on stage with someone you've never played with before and it seems like both are you know fruitful and exciting in their own ways. Um so what what do you notice in the music as a result of having spent so much time with these with these guys? I mean, ha, in is there are there ways that you can describe that it kind of manifests itself when you're on stage? I think that there's there's a trust that you develop um, when you're close with people and you're friends with them, and you know there's just there's that sense of like support and that you know 
you know someone's quirks and you know things about their personality and the same way when you're playing with them you just you know you know them pretty well as a player and i feel like there's just this overall sense of um everyone has you know everyone is is there to show support and there's a sense of like well you know something new can happen and like someone might do something unexpected but if it doesn't go right then we'll be there and we'll figure out where to go together like it's it's um i think it's really just about like about trust and and feeling that support from a group like we know each other i know that like if some you know if i go for something different then they'll be there even if it doesn't work out exactly sure that they, they know me well enough that they can you know say all right he's gonna try this and let's see what happens and 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 we know the music well enough and we know each other well enough that we can make something happen out of it has that impacted your writing as well having this same group together for so long it's definitely impacted i mean i i tend to you know people talk about like writing for specific performers or you know composers and writing with someone in mind and and i definitely have when i'm writing now i i i can totally see what you know maxwell said like he'll I could see him adding this kind of like, you know, percussion, like symphony percussion part on this section, or like this is a bass line that Chris will kill, or, you know, this kind of harmony is like, you know, lends itself well to him soloing, or, you know. Yeah. It's exciting for me because it's, it's not just like I have a new tune. It's like we have a new tune and you're going to make it that tune. And I, I, I have a feeling about it. You know, I, yeah. I have a sense that like, they're going to bring their, put their imprint on it, which they always do. So, Do you are you the one carrying all the compositional weight in the band, other than the collaborative process you just described? But you're playing right. all your own tune, your tunes, rather than pretty kind of much collective tunes. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. I mean, we've um, 
we've, I don't want to call it a formula, I guess it's more of an approach, but that I've, I, I'll bring in material and sometimes it's fairly, I don't know, I don't know if it's finished, but there's, it's, it's developed, but other times it's, it's a little raw and it needs some sculpting and, but no matter what, like we always take the material and those guys will always elevate it. Like when we work on it in rehearsal, it's never just like you do this and you do that. And okay, that's good. You, you, you made that part like done. It's always, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, what if we tried this? Or I don't like this part like this. And I'm not feeling this section. What if we tried this? How can we make this come across better? You know, and that to me, that's like where the, the material just gets, um, elevated by them. So it seems like there's a, there's a certain amount on your part of being willing to kind of relinquish the ego of like, I'm, this is my composition and here's how it's going to be. Totally. I, I think, and I, I think like some of my favorite parts of the music and even on the CD, they're like certain sections of tunes. Like my favorite parts are, are parts that I had a different way originally and through our rehearsing and, and kind of just trial and error of trying a lot of different ideas and we'll come up with something that's, that's really cool. And and that I didn't think of, it's just that I had the initial germ of the idea and then the band, you know, sometimes it takes us like a bunch of gigs before we're like, that's, that part stinks. Like we, (laughs) we, you know, we need to figure out how to do it. And then when we get it, it's, it's really satisfying because it, it came from everyone. Can you can you think of a track on this record or a part of a track on this record that stands out to you as one of those places where the band really changed the character of the composition? Uh, well, there's one. I mean, right off the bat, the first tune on the album, Sterling. Um, there was a section. There's a section in it that I don't know. Sometimes I can I can write parts that maybe are a little like dramatic and or and. I just need someone to say like I don't know, I'm not really feeling this part. Like we can make this a little weirder or cooler. Or and right. um, and so I remember Chris just never, he got that face when we played that section. Like I just I'm not not really feeling that part. And I kind of agreed. I mean I wasn't I didn't think it was the best thing ever, but um, we just tried a lot of different stuff, and eventually I think. We said, oh, okay, what if, like, you know, Danny, you play the, you play these chords and, and kind of hold it down and, like, really just play this part as, like, a background part. And Max and Chris, like, they'll play more sort of pointillistic or just, like, just kind of weird little jabs and things like that. And what came out was, I thought, sounded really cool and weird because, um, Originally, it was just like this sort of dramatic kind of um, like, I don't know, uh, it's hard to describe without <laughs> hearing it or playing <laughs> sure, it, yeah. but um, but it resulted in one of my favorite moments where there's, I'm, I'm laying down something like, like this groove that repeats a couple of times while they're doing all sorts of stuff like on the fringes and it sounds kind of disorienting and kind of like fun i don't know 
Is there, are you guys consciously at all ever trying to get kind of out from under the weight of the incredible amount of piano trio music that exists? I mean, the piano trio is one of the classic formats of jazz performance, and there's obviously right. enormous names associated with it. Is doing it the way that you're doing it, is any part of that conscious to say, like, okay, we're not just going to play Stella, you know, in a trio format. We got to think of something else. Right. I think so. I mean, I, I don't know if, if we've always had that, but I think, um, sort of as we found what was like our sound was developing and, and, um, we were trying all these different things with the format. That's, I guess that's become part of our ethic. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're all very influenced by the trio, um, just the classic trios. And, um, but I think we're, we're trying to, because there's such a, you know, like weight of the, there's so much history of behind this format, you know, we think it's cool to see like, well, how can we try something new with it? Um, I mean, we, we definitely love to play just like, well, we like to play all kinds of stuff. We often sure. play standards and, um, we often start rehearsals playing tunes and, um, but yeah, that that's that's definitely something we're going for, I guess, just to see what's possible in in the format that maybe hasn't been done or I don't know, that, that sounds a little <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's like it's never been done, but we're looking for new approaches that or you know, that feel personal. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the key, the the feeling personal part, right? It's something mm -hmm. that feels authentic to who you guys are as musicians. Mm -hmm. Um I think you are, uh, if I am reading, remembering your biography correctly, a rare beast on the show, which is a person who actually is from the city of New York. Uh, I am from New York, yeah. And can you talk a little bit about just kind of growing up and getting into the piano and, and finding your way into this music? Yeah, um, I was fortunate to grow up in Manhattan and, um, you know, with, with a family that was very music-loving. Um my dad, uh, he's a doctor, but he plays guitar and banjo. He was pretty into the folk revival scene. And uh, my older brother plays drums. And so we, we grew up with music. Um, I didn't really grow up with jazz, funny enough. Like, it wasn't my brother went to um, Interlochen Arts Camp in Michigan, and he came back with all these Miles Davis records and it kind of blew my mind and you know my dad i remember my dad saying well i i have all this jazz at home but we didn't know about it <laughs> apparently there were like hundreds of records in our house but he never never really played it and but then we both kind of got bitten by that and um i had been taking piano with a a great teacher who um played jazz played lots of stuff and was totally open to um teaching me whatever i wanted to learn whether... were you studying classical repertoire up to that point or no i i started like i studied a little bit of classical but really my teacher just let me do whatever i want so i wanted to learn the theme from cheers um he showed me that i wanted to learn stairway to heaven so he showed me that <laughs> um and then i started getting into jazz and he kind of it was good that i had him as a teacher at that time because he can he could show me um you know, like it was, it was just a good, uh, good timing that as I was 
learning about jazz first through my brother and then you know my dad's records and and I had this teacher who who showed me that too so you said hearing those records you know kind of blew your mind can you th- put yourself back in that in that time and think about like what it was you were reacting to or what you were hearing that was really that was hitting you it's, I'm not sure I'm not sure what I remember listening to the first, the first like aha moment that I can remember was we were on a family trip. We were actually in Israel, where a lot of our family is from, and my brother had just gotten back from that camp, and he, I think he put on Milestones in the car, and we were driving around like it was was at night, and something about just being in the car in this you know foreign country and and hearing that music, which is, um. I don't know, it's mysterious sounding and I hadn't heard anything like it. So that was really like the first thing I remember hearing that I had to learn more about. Um, and then, yeah, ever since then, I just luck, you know, growing up in New York, I had the good fortune to just see a lot of the greatest people playing. I, you know, even in high school, uh, even before high school, I was going to see, like I got to see Sonny Rollins when I was in, you know, eighth grade. Um, Which got, you would go with your family or how? Yeah, yeah. I'd go to my family or in high school, you know, I could, I was luckily I was independent enough. I could take the subway down to the village and go to Smalls when it was starting up or just, we used to go, you know, I'd go see guys like um, Kenny Barron a lot. Um Mulgrew Miller, just, you you know, even they would play at this Italian restaurant. Um, I think a lot of the Bradleys, the people who used to play at Bradleys would play at um, other venues around there, like this place called Zinno, and there's Knickerbocker, which I think might still be there. But I was really geeking out about jazz at that point, and there's no better place to be when you're starting to learn about all these greats, and they're right there. I mean... I grew up on the Upper West Side, and <laughs> I went um, to this place, Harry's Shoes, to get some shoes. And there was just I looked over, and there was Tommy Flanagan trying on shoes. And you know, I was I had just listened to his album, and I, you know, it, it was kind of insane to be so close to that when you're really just starting to get into it. Yeah. Did you just go talk to Tommy Flanagan? Oh yeah, yeah. I was pretty brazen when I. I mean, when I was younger, I. I was just so I was just so excited that I couldn't contain it. I mean, another story like that was I um, <laughs> sounds so ridiculous. I went to my dentist was in the Steinway building on Fifty Seventh, and sometimes I would go in after the dentist to just you know play around on the pianos. I had no intention of buying one, <laughs> so I didn't like that. I got kicked out of Steinway once with my friend. <laughs> Um, were you playing stairway or (laughs) no i don't remember i think we were i don't we were playing um duets on i can't remember what tune we used to play but um they definitely kicked us out but this was before i i i finished my appointment and i went next door and i saw that mccoy tyner was doing a photo shoot and you know i had just I had just recently heard about who he was and i actually had you know i think i had bought his album um, and 
he came out and I would never do something like this now, but I just went to the piano and started playing passion dance and he was super cool and supportive and, you know, oh, so, I, so what happened? Tell us more about what happened when he started playing. Oh, he just, I think he just like smiled and said, Oh, you know, you like that one, huh? I'm like, I, I was, I was just, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to just like go up and start playing it. I would never, that's just not my personality, but, <laughs> I think the sheer excitement of, you know, getting into the music and learning about all these people and then just all of a sudden having access to, you know, yeah. being in the same place with someone like that. Yeah, it's It seems like, you know, it's not like falling in love with the Beatles, which everybody does. I mean, it's kind of, it's a very niche thing. It's so like I can totally understand the desire to, you know, most probably most people in your peer group, although maybe you grew up in a specialized environment, most people in a peer group of a high school student or a junior high student aren't going to be into jazz. And so I can totally get that, like, oh, here's someone I can connect with who actually understands what it is that excites me about this. I mean, you use the word brazen, and there is a thing about there is a, a showmanship aspect to that, but it strikes me much more as a sincere thing to say, like, hey, I get, I'm listening to this music, I get it, you know, and I know you're one of the people that I'm listening to, you know, right. that thing. That strikes me as a totally cool kind of acceptable thing and a kind of endearing thing. I think, yeah. But... Yeah. I definitely, um, I mean, I definitely was, I wasn't like a weird kid in school growing up, I don't think, but, um, I always had music taste that was slightly just different than a lot of the people in my school. And partly I had an older, I have an older brother and, you know, he was starting to listen. We were really like classic rock and, you know, people were not listening to the Grateful Dead. Like I was listening in fifth grade to the Grateful Dead. People didn't know who they were, you know. And then when I started getting into jazz, it was even more obscure. So it felt it felt cool, like to be that you know one of the few people that knew who Miles Davis was, and you know, in yeah. eighth grade or whatever. And so when did listening to this music kind of translate into becoming really passionate about? playing it how did how did that happen for you um i guess yeah in high school i just started um i got really serious about it i was practicing a ton um driving my neighbors totally bonkers um just yeah just kind of soaking it up um learning a lot of you know, transcribing a lot of solos and started studying with a, another teacher and just getting as much info as I could. Um, and I, and I kind of, by the time I went to college, I knew that I wanted to do it. I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't exactly know how I would do it.
always interested. Uh, in fact, I th- you mentioned Sonny Rollins. I think this is one of the questions I have asked him on this show before is how he ever thought just had the concept of being a musician as a living. And for you, it sounds like you were kind of in this rare environment where you actually saw examples around you of people who were doing this thing. I mean, so it, by the time you were in high school for years, you'd already been seeing like actual people like in the shoe store or, you know, at the dentist office or whatever, who were actual physical examples of someone doing it, that career. And so it sounds like maybe it made it a little more, seem more achievable. Maybe. I don't know if that's fair or not. Yeah, I think definitely it was, it was exciting to see these, these greats just, you know, they live in New York and they play great music. And I think it was just clear to me, like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I guess, I don't know if I thought about it this way, but like looking back, I guess like to affect people the way they affected me when I was starting to get into it, like that's a, that's a powerful thing. So, so if you had decided that that's what you wanted to do, why Harvard? That seems like an interesting choice to me. Um, well, I guess I, I had never, I had never really focused on music. Like my school didn't have much of a music program at all. Um, I mean, my high school and, uh, I did apply, I considered going to some conservatories. Um, but I guess I, I felt confident that I, in a, like in a more, um, I guess I wanted like a more well-rounded liberal arts education, but I knew that going to somewhere like Boston, that I would be surrounded by um, other musicians. And that's exactly what it was. I, I was constantly taking the bus over to NEC or to Berkeley and, you know, meeting, meeting lots of um, great players and, um, but also I think it, I don't know. I, I like that it, it was kind of, I don't know if it made me stand out, but I, I kind of, I didn't, I did like that. I, um, I felt like I could still do, I could still play music and, and, and play with these people who are doing it full time. Even if I, you know, wasn't, it was, I think I, I, I liked that. It was like a, I'm not sure what the word is. <laughs> what, what did you study at Harvard? I did psychology. I haven't, yeah, I haven't done anything with that, but <laughs> yeah. So were you, were you already playing um, in sessions with, you know, your peers and that kind of thing in high school or did that start when you got to Boston? Um, I, yeah, no, I already, I had already played sessions. The really, I, I started meeting a lot of musicians through, I did some of these sort of, um, all-star programs kind of, I don't know. There's a thing called the Grammy band. Yep. And I met some people who I still to this day are my close friends and I play music with who I met in that band. Um, and so, you know, I was getting to play at pretty, pretty, pretty good in pretty good situations with some really great players, even at that age. So, and then when you went to Boston, it sounds like you made that, uh, a priority. I mean, obviously you had your Harvard scholastics going on too, but it sounds like you made kind of getting out there and playing. Yeah, definitely. Priority. Yeah. We, we played, we used to have, um, we had a fairly regular gig at this folk club in Harvard square called club Passim, And they didn't have really any jazz, but they kind of 
they threw us a like a Monday night every so often and that was extremely formative for me because that was where I started to to write and just try out new stuff in front of audiences and you know would have people some people from Harvard and some people from NEC and Berkeley and and you know put on these shows there and that was really where I got um that spark of of wanting to write original music and have it performed and were those uh ensembles with horns or were they piano trios or uh no it was actually usually with horns yeah i i didn't really explore writing for a piano trio until this group so i mean i played gigs with a trio and maybe played a tune or two of mine but this was definitely this is the only trio i've ever had so really like that's you know produced work and cds and and what made you want to start writing original music? Do you remember what the appeal of that was? I don't know. I I um I I wrote like I started writing pretty early on. I I think even like when I was in junior high, I I wrote a few tunes and I like to joke with my brother because I remember coming up with this tune that I thought was really cool. And my dad used to play a lot in the car. He used to play Doc Watson, the great um, guitarist and singer. Um, and my brother was like, "That's that you just that's a Doc Watson song that you wrote." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right." You know, but so it was probably I was something must have been I must have been excited about what I heard enough that I sat at the piano and messed around and that's what I came up with. Cause I <laughs> right. kind of, you know, um, that's the earliest thing I can remember about, you know, wanting to write. Um, but yeah, I think in college it really took hold like that. That became like what I was most excited about. And so when you graduated from Harvard, you came back to New York mm -hmm. and how did you kind of start building yourself a, a musical presence here? Um, I guess, you know, I, I, the way a lot of people do of just trying to meet a lot of different musicians and I had the benefit of having, you know, already met a lot of people that either lived here or had, you know, were moving here. And so I feel like I, I, it's not like I moved back to New York or moved to New York for the first time and had no base. Like I, I, I definitely... I knew people and just kind of tried to um, get back into it. And it was the first time I actually got to solely focus on music when I moved back. And um, that was great for me just to, I even, I studied with a classical teacher for like four or five years. And I kind of thought that was like my grad school. So between working on classical music with this teacher and, and, um, playing sessions and and there were some ways in which I felt like I was like maybe I had missed some things having not gone to conservatory I, I just there were a lot of things I didn't know that probably were covered in like freshman year <laughs> but I kind of um I found my way and I'm still finding my way but you know I remember coming back and playing sessions and maybe seeing a time signature and being like, I, I don't know what that even means. Like, I don't know what that number or what will happen when I try and play that or, 
people would make fun of me because my my um tunes like the the measure lines I wouldn't like I didn't know you had to write like a measure line at the end of each line. I thought, well, the line just ends, so you go to the next line. There's certain basic things of sure. like notation and theory and because I don't know, for many years I was like especially in college I was just fending for myself, seeing what I can learn on my own and taking from other people and but not not like formally studying. So. Yeah. Well, what made you uh, decide to do the classical thing when you came back to New York? Um, I think I always felt like that was a hole in my playing that I hadn't, especially for piano. There's such a, an amazing um, repertoire to study, and I I liked it. First of all, I just like I wanted to check it out, and also I thought it would be beneficial for um for me as a jazz pianist and. I think, I mean, it probably has helped me in many ways, but especially with writing, it's, I feel like studying all these great pieces, like completely opened me up to different possibilities and different sounds and chords and... Yeah, I think there. It feels to me like there's both an intricacy to your writing and a willingness to not be left hand chords, right hand melody. That both sound to me like they've probably been influenced by studying classical music. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I. It's funny. Like I don't. I don't think I've. Con- I don't think I've consciously um, tried to like when I've written say like I'm not gonna do this format. I don't know if I've said that. It's more just like through having worked with some of this stuff and listened to lots of different kind of stuff, it just things start to come out that maybe aren't, you know, that like left hand, right hand um, sure. that you describe, but just just because you're exploring different possibilities. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh anybody who's heard this show more than twice knows my opinion of jazz education and it doesn't strike me that it's necessarily a detriment or maybe not at all a detriment to not have come through the same processing plant 
that everybody else came through. I mean, not to say that there's no value in that, but I think there's also a value in just having done it on your own. Just explored and listened and internalized the things that mean something to you. And that seems like it's a really valuable way. That's what people used to do. Yeah, I, I definitely think about that. Um, I feel like, yeah, I... I feel like I'm 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 fortunate that I haven't really had anyone in my life that's said like you have to do this, you have to play like this, you have to write like this. Why don't you write something that sounds like this? It's really just been me saying, "Well, let me try doing this." And I feel like that's it's maybe it can be a harder path sometimes, but it's led me to some stuff that I think is is personal and maybe maybe it wouldn't have come out in a different you know in a different path Can you, um, I want to, as we're kind of getting toward the end here, just come back, um, to wide eyed. Is there, is there something you're, uh, going for some set of ideas, some set of concepts? Is there something that kind of unifies this record or is it one of those things where, okay, now there are enough compositions and we've spent a long enough time since the last record that it's time to make another one? It's kind of a mix. I think, um, I think that this i mean this is our second record and um i think by the time we were working on this material we had maybe solidified our like our concept a little bit more and um we're we're pushing ourselves a little more to try different things and um and so i think that in itself is is unifying um because it represents us at maybe like a I guess we've just been playing together longer and so we're getting better and hopefully <laughs> and um yeah I don't know I guess um uh, a lot of the material on this album and on the first album kind of a lot of the compositions are motivated by similar um ideas which is that you know we take like one or two main themes and kind of spin them out into a lot of sections that can sound maybe drastically different, but hopefully are always um, related to each other and connected in some way that, you know, may be obvious, may not be. And I think that you can, you can hear that on all the tunes on this album and maybe compared to the first album, we might be, um, taking more chances and, and going for some, some different things with, with that idea of like, you know, taking one or two themes and, and spinning them out into lots of possibilities. I don't know if that sounds too vague. No, no, I think it makes sense. Um, when the trio plays this stuff live, do you, uh, do you hew pretty close to, you know, kind of a contained composition or do these things then spin even further and go even farther afield? I or guess it, I guess it depends. Or, yeah. No, it depends. Um, I think we tend. I mean, it's the music. A lot of it is is fairly. I mean, it, it's it's definitely arranged pretty closely, but we do have sections that 
can go anywhere. Like there are some tunes where we get to a part and just play improvise freely. And, you know, that, that can on a given night can be, you know, totally crazy. Some nights it might be more tame. Um, but I, I always, I think I've always thrived on like some, I guess that balance between structure and like something being very, very like together and tight. Um, but also being loose and, 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 and free. You can, I don't know. I feel like that push and pull between, um, having like very like material that's like closely arranged and, and the band can really like play it play parts and play on have the ensemble playing be really together, but then also have total freedom within that. I mean, I listen, I like one of big influence for me is the Bill Frizzell trio, um, with Kermit Driscoll, Joey Barron. And to me, that's a great example of a band that like they had played together for years. And a lot of the material was like, you know, extremely together cause they had just been playing it so long, but, that allows them to veer off in all these ways that um, I think it's the perfect balance from, you know, that's what I, that's what I like the most. It's so funny that that's the band you name because uh, the person who's home were in the guitarist, Daryl Sean uh, and his wife, uh, Daryl and I are both enormous fans of that Bill Frizzell trio in particular. And Daryl has seen that band a bunch of times. And we were just last night, at a show talking about exactly that, oh, about that, <laughs> that cool. band. And then here you are talking about, it. I feel like we should have Daryl now come out of the room where they're hiding and we can all talk about Bill Frizzell for the rest of the night. Yeah. I'm supposed to play. <laughs> and actually tomorrow I'm going out to Jersey to Kermit's house to play with him. Oh, so. no kidding. Oh, wow. And I ask him a lot about that trio and his, how it worked. And because I, I'm pretty inspired by that and just, you know, the sound that they got and just how they, play off each other and how you know just how amazing they played as a trio to me it's it's um i don't know I'm always yeah learning from that i'm right there with you absolutely so is there a release party coming up for this record yeah we're um we're gonna play well we're gonna do a tour uh, um midwest tour we're gonna go to a whole bunch of places i'm still Back working on that <laughs> yeah um so yeah so far we're gonna go to um chicago and we're playing at a place, Constellation, in Chicago, and um, to Milwaukee, Jazz Estate, and where else? We were playing in South Bend, Indiana, at a great place, Merriman's Playhouse. This is in what month? This is um, end of April, okay. beginning of May, and we're playing at um, Cliff Bells in Detroit, and then the New York CD release will be at Subculture, which um, is on May 9th. In, in Greenwichville. Well, somewhere in the village. On Bleecker, <laughs> it's on Bleecker Street. Yeah. That's great. Uh, my guest is Danny Fox, and his new album with his trio is called Wide Eyed. Uh, it's been great to talk to you, man. I'm really glad you did it, and, uh, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.
I'm giving away a copy of Danny Fox's Wide-Eyed, which you're listening to right now. The first person to email jason at thejazzsession.com with Fox in the subject line wins the CD. People tend to assume that everybody else has entered, so they don't email. Don't be one of those people. Take a chance, okay? However, if you've won a CD in the past month, just sit this one out, all right? Thanks very much, and good luck. Speaking of thank yous, thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the logo. If you need some writing done, whether it's a press release or a Wikipedia page or some content for your website, feel free to visit CraneWrites.com, my freelance site, CraneWrites.com. You'll find samples there of all the work that I do, Wikipedia pages, bios, press releases, and more. And you can contact me for rates and other information. That's CraneWrites.com. Looking forward to bringing you more great conversations coming up. As I said, I'll be heading to New York City at the end of this week, recording five more shows, and I'll bring those to you in the weeks ahead. Meanwhile, have yourself a great couple of weeks, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.